Today's reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, starting in verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Well, hey, I heard that. Good morning uh, to you, too, Annalise. Perfect. Um, glad, you guys, glad you guys are here. One of the, um, probably, I don't know if you have this, too. We have, like, a collection of books at my house that are all, like, Christmas books. Most of them are, like, uh, children's stories. And so during the holidays, during the Advent season, we sort of pull those out. When we decorate the house, we sort of keep them with the Christmas decorations. And then when we decorate the house, we sort of pull them out. And we start kind of making our way through them and reading them. One of uh, the ones that, um, that, that's a favorite is one that we call Mortimer's uh, A Christmas Manger. Um, and it's by the same author that uh, wrote another book called um, The Bear Snores On, which we really like. It has nothing to do with Christmas at all, so we don't read that at Christmas time. But we do read Mortimer's Christmas Manger. And the interesting thing about this uh, story is, um, so there's a mouse, uh, Mortimer, and he lives in, in a house. He, he, you know, you just have to, uh, you know, sort of suspend, should mice be in the house for a minute, uh, you know. <laughs> In the city, but he lives sort of in a cramped little kind of hole in the wall, and he's like, I don't like this place. It's cold, it's dark, it's damp. I don't want to be here. I, I wish I had another house. So he rushes out. The family whose house he lives in, they decorate for Christmas, and they set out a, a manger scene. And he's like, Look, this is my new house. Perfect. He scurries up. And uh, he finds, well, there's people there, but they're not real people. They're statues. So he's like, well, this, this can't stay. And so he starts to sort of drag all of the things out of the manger. He takes the shepherds out of here, the wise men. He's like dragging them out. He sees, uh, you know, this baby in this little uh, manger. And he's like, well, that's, that's a great bed. I need that bed. And he sort of takes Jesus uh, out of the manger. And then he curls up and, he, and that's where he sleeps because now he's got a new house. Morning comes, he goes, he scurries around, probably eats food that's been left out. I don't know what he does. It's, part, it's not in the story. I'm making that up. Uh, and then the family, they wake up and they're like, what the heck happened? <laughs> You're like there's a disaster at the manger now. They set it all back up. Mortimer shows back up the next day. He pulls it all back out. And so you have this sort of this pattern, this pattern, this pattern. And what's actually happening in this story is that Mortimer is literally removing Jesus from the manger and placing himself in the midst of the Advent story. And the thing is, as we move through Advent, there's actually a way that we can do that too where we can move into the Christmas season and we can have a Christless Christmas. We can place ourselves at uh, the center of it. We can sideline Jesus uh, in the process. Um, I was doing some Christmas shopping. I was on 8th Street and I popped into a boutique there that I'd never been in before. And the, uh, the owner of the store, he's standing right there and I walk in and he just is ready to talk to somebody. And I was the guy. And he's like, hey, welcome to my store. I bet you came in here because you thought I had good stuff for sale, didn't you? And I'm like, I just, yeah, hey, what do you got? And he just, and then he just launches into me. He's like, well, what, my name's this. What's your name? I'm like, well, my name is Matthew. Great. Uh, you know, I've been owning this store since whatever, whatever. I was like, hey, that's a great story. Fantastic. He's like, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, man, I got to tell you, I hate Christmas. I'm like, 
Now I'm trapped. Like, I don't, we've just come out in this situation. And he's like, and here's why. He's like, people rush around. My customers show up at my shop and they're angry. They're mad. They're like stressed out. They buy more than they should. They go into debt. And then not only that, but like the people that can't do that, like crime goes up and people still like, what have we done to Christmas? I just hate Christmas. And then what happens? I probably what happens. He's just going on. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He says, you know, what probably happens after that. Then once Christmas is over then they all show up at your place of business because they're like, oh, I've got debt. I've got stress. What do I do? And he's like, did you people do this on purpose? I'm like, bro, like, just looking for something from a 10-year-old man. Like, what, like what, what happened here? But, but I felt the weight of it, right? Because of what's happened, we've, we've like Mortimer, we've sort, of, we've sort of taken the central piece of what Advent is all about, of celebrating that God stepped out of eternity and into time and space, and we've placed ourselves at the center. Or even if we're generous, we would say, I didn't place myself, I placed like, the 37 other people that I'm shopping for at the center, which is beautiful and good, but it's not best. We've fallen into a pattern of Advent living that just can, it can remove or it can sideline Jesus and it can corrupt the initial celebration point of the season of God becoming a human, dwelling among us, living among us for the sake of our salvation. Over these um, past weeks, our effort as we've walked through the Advent season and saying, what does it look like for us to make room? What does it, what does it mean for us to make room for Jesus this Advent, to, to have an Advent season that more faithfully represents our faith? That's been our task and our aim. We've sought an antidote to this push and pull of removing Jesus from the center unintentionally at times. And how do we make room for Christ? Um, just a, a few days from now, what we're going to do is, just two days really, right? Let me, let me, keep, my, let me keep my Christmas calendar uh, counts down. We'll celebrate Jesus' arrival. We'll, we'll celebrate Jesus' birth to a, a young teenage unwed mother. A woman who was traveling and a family who was wondering and was worrying. A family who was certain and uncertain at the same time. Um, as the story goes, G Joseph and Mary, they were traveling because a census was called in the Roman world. And so they had to pack up and they had to travel to their hometown. They had to travel to Joseph's hometown to be counted in the census. Had to go back to where he, uh, his, his ancestral home. If that were to happen today, I might have to travel to Oklahoma. My wife would have to travel to Illinois. You would have to go wherever you're from. Some of you would stay, but we would all be traveling a lot of traveling now, right? Sometimes I think when we think of um, Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem, we just think of them on this sort of solitary, just the two of them on this road across this vast wasteland, and we miss the fact that the entire country was traveling at that point. So there was a lot of hustle, a lot of traffic, a lot of movement, and the weight and the hurry and the scurry that that places on all of us. We know that story, right? So when they arrived at Bethlehem, Mary, eight months pregnant, when they, when they arrived there, the, I suspect the thing that they just wanted to do was to rest, just, just to sit down, just to, just to be present for a bit. Maybe you've been rushing too. Maybe you've been rushing and planning and preparing and working, or, or, or maybe you haven't been, but you've wanted to. 
And your inability to do Christmas in whatever way that you imagine that to happen has weighed on your shoulders as well, and you just want to rest from it. And, and, and maybe for you this morning, like maybe even in this moment, however you've arrived in these seats, maybe that's been a rush too. And I think if we're going to talk about what it means to make room for peace and to make room for Jesus, maybe just in this moment it's for you to cling to that room making Jesus right now. Just to rest. Um, maybe you showed up and like you think, okay, let me, let me come to church. And then there's like a list of things you got to do when, when you leave here. Maybe there's lists that you haven't yet accomplished. And I, the things that you haven't done that have been left undone, just, just leave them. The, the, the Lord will take care of them. He will preserve those things. And if, he does, and if he doesn't, let's trust his providence in it. Let's, let's make room for peace this morning. And maybe, um, maybe you arrive at this point and you're not quite where you uh, planned to be at this point, either in the year or in life. I'm not sure that Joseph and Mary were either. I'm not sure it was their plan to show up at Bethlehem, pregnant and wondering what would happen next. But maybe it's for you to trust that you are exactly where God wants you to be right now. And so rest and wait and anticipate Jesus' arrival into the world and into your world. Make room. Make room for hope and love and joy and peace. This morning, um, as we just explore a bit more about peace, our passage comes from Jeremiah 33. In verse 14, uh, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise that I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Jeremiah's prophecies, it, it, they stir uh, hope. Uh, they stir the, the ache for peace among um, Israel. Uh, Jeremiah's words actually come in a moment in Israel's history when the country is just disintegrating around them. Uh, verse 14 references Israel and Judah. These were the two halves of the country, the northern part Israel and the southern part Judah. The southern part had actually been conquered by Babylon at this point. And so the northerners are looking down at the southerners thinking their fate is going to be ours soon. It was a dark season in the, history's, in, in the country's history. And it was into this history, into this disintegration, into this chaos, into this wondering about the future of the country that Jeremiah says, I will fulfill the good promise. He says it won't always be this way. He stirs imagination of promises that God has made to his people, promises of restoration, promises of peace. One of the images of peace that becomes clear in the Old Testament comes out of a contemporary of Jeremiah and Isaiah in verses 6 through 8. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together. The little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. 
An image of uh, peace is um, where the things that have been broken or corrupted, the things that, have, uh, uh, that are at odds with each other, the things that are lost or stolen or forced or oppressed, that the things that have been mishandled or the things for which we're ashamed, that all of those things get made right in the peace of God. The peace that, um, uh, that the Bible talks about is not just like an, uh, an absence of violence or conflict, but it's something much deeper. The Hebrew word is shalom. Shalom is a, it's a very multi-textured word, and uh, it, uh, me, it carries with it just this presence of, of right standing and healing and wholeness in a holistic sense. Uh, the, uh, the ancients understand shalom to be um, peace that exists with uh, humanity and God, but not just with humanity and God, but also with uh, a people, with between people. But, but also even a deeper sense than that, that shalom uh, carried with it a peace that took place even within an individual person. But, but not just that, it didn't stop there, but also that peace was uh, a possible between humanity and nature and the systems in which we occupy. As uh, theologian and author Nicholas Walterstorff wrote, to dwell in shalom is to enjoy living before God to enjoy living in one's physical surroundings, to enjoy living with one's fellows, and to enjoy life with one's self. It wasn't just the absence of violence, but that there was a place of enjoyment and right setting that also was carried within the notion of peace. When I think about um, these different layers of of peace, I I think um, one of the ways that we may uh, sort of serve as a way for us to remember the, the depth and texture of the peace that God is offering is actually through, um, through, uh, through the manger seat. I, I've got several of these, different kinds. Um, I've lost some of the pieces. Don't know how you lose pieces to a manger set, but you set them out, and then like four weeks later, you're like, I'd, where's, I'm missing half the characters here. Maybe they, I should look in like the, you know, uh, superhero bin or something. Who knows? I don't know. <clears throat> but when we think of like the, the different ways that, um, the Bible talks about shalom. Think about shalom within oneself. Ways in which we can experience peace with, within our own skin. I actually think about some of the central characters of, of, of Joseph and, and Mary. Of, the, of the, the, the comfort that the two of them had to have within who they were as daughters and sons of God. To be able to take the track, to be able to explain their situation, and to know, to know, to know that God had chosen them for something. With, uh, in Luke 2, with all of the um, uh, activity swirling around their life and all of the uncertainty and Mary now pregnant by the Holy Spirit, when, when folks would come and see this newborn king that was born, when they leave, there's this verse in Luke 2, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's this sense that she was comfortable with where she was and who she was in light of who God says she is. Both Joseph and Mary, they had to come to a reckoning of who they were in their own story. To make room for peace is to see oneself as God sees you. Joseph and Mary were dearly loved people, agents of redemption and purpose. And and maybe you've got a, a manger scene in your house, and for you, every time you pass by it to see Joseph and Mary, maybe that's a, a reminder to you that God loves you, that he chose you. As Father Greg Boyle would say, you are exactly who God had in mind 
when he made you to be at peace, to make room for peace within one's own skin. But it's not just, uh, it can't just stay in us, but actually between uh, people. What does it look like for, to make room for shalom between people? I, I, I don't know if this is quite right, but I think of, I think of the, the, the wise men. In the story of, of uh, in the Christmas story, the wise men, they travel from the east. They're um, more, likely, more likely than not from Persia. They come and they come into um, Israel. And when they encounter Herod, they realize that Herod actually wants to kill Jesus. He wants to kill the newborn king. He doesn't quite know who it is, but he knows that they are a threat to his own power. And so he enacts genocide. He enacts violence against his own kin. There's death in the Christmas story because we ache for shalom, we ache for peace to be established between people. And the Magi were aware of that. This morning as Jess works on our art display for peace, she's putting up flowers. This year in Washington, D.C., as of um, Friday, We've lost 157 community members in D.C. to senseless violence. Thirteen of those members are eight blocks from minor. Jess had to make an extra flower this morning because it's 158 today. As we think about the Christmas story and what does it mean for us to make peace, to, to, to make room for peace, even as we celebrate with our families this fourth Sunday of Advent, I pray that we make room in our prayers and our actions for the family and friends that are represented in each one of these flowers today. Their Christmas is quite different. And if peace is peace at all, it is peace in the midst of a beautiful but broken world. So we ache and long for peace, not just within us, but also between people. We also uh, ache for shalom between humanity and the world. This uh, is nature, but also includes systems and structures. Because of sin, uh, nature has been broken. Mother nature and, and human nature both have aspects both of God's beauty, but also they've been tainted by sin. And so we see disasters from mother nature and disasters of human nature. We see our bodies will wage and turn against us in the forms of cancer and other illnesses. We also see that systems and structures of the world, economics, education, medicine, justice, politics, that these things are also in desperate need of shalom. And that shalom speaks to it. What does it look like for there to be peace in the midst of systems? When I imagine this, I, I see um, i got to take the, the shepherds uh, and the sheep together. The shepherds representing those that were at the lower end of the economic uh, system, that they were the ones that bore the brunt of the inequality and the oppression. The shepherds are the underclass of the ancient world. And yet their presence at the manger remind us of God's consistent care for and his preference for the poor and the marginalized. Karl Barth and his Church dogmatics, he says it this way, God always takes his stand unconditionally and passionately against the lofty and on behalf of the lowly, against those who already enjoy right and privilege and on behalf of those who are denied and deprived of it. As we walk past, as I walk past my manger that's on my mantle this Christmas and I see the shepherds, I 
wants to pray for and continue to strive for what it means to see peace in the midst of our world and in our systems and structures this Christmas. If we're to make room for peace, it means that we make room for those who have been affected by sin's effects on nature and systems. But it's not just shalom and peacemaking within ourselves or between us and others or in our world, but also shalom between humanity and God. At the foundation of shalom's work, it's, it's in Christ, it's in Jesus. The, the center of the Advent story, right? I don't think it comes out of there. You just have to trust me. That, that for peacemaking to that at the foundation and base of it, it was that there was a God who took on flesh and blood. He was born in a real place and for a very real purpose to show us the links to which God went so that he might make room for peace in us, around us, through us, and between us. And peace with God is possible through Jesus now, I didn't tell you the end of Mortimer's story. So what happens is this you know, sort of back and forth of, at the manger scene with Mortimer and the statue and the family. And then at some point, Mortimer overhears the Christmas story being read by the family. And he realizes that what this manger scene is, what this house is he's been living in, that it's the scene of Jesus' birth. And he's, he then figures out who the shepherds are and the wise men and who Joseph and Mary. And he's like, well, I can't. I can't do that and keep moving Jesus out of his home. So he puts it back. He's like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go back to my dark hole. And then somehow, some kind of way, he finds another house. And it's a gingerbread house, (laughs) which I think is probably great for a mouse if he doesn't eat his house. And he believes that God has made a, a new home for him. So if you just place your faith in Jesus... Lord has a gingerbread house just for you. He doesn't have a gingerbread house. Maybe he might. I don't know who am I to box God in. But he does have a place for you. He absolutely has a place for you. He has a relationship. He has a community. He has a place that you can belong. And the invitation this morning is to say, yeah, make room. Make room for me in your life. Because God has made room for you in his. And this Christmas, with everything else that swirls around, and as we pass by manger scenes and see them in different places, may we think about the ways that God has aimed to make room for us and the invitation for us to make room for him for his hope, his joy, his love, and his peace, always remembering that he has created a place for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, the, um, the ways that we even look at the manger scene, God, 
We have, um, we can sanitize it. It can become so familiar that we sentimentalize it even. But Lord, it's a story, it's a, it's a display both for our comfort and our discomfort. It serves as a visual reminder of the links to which you went to display your love towards us. To show the links to which you will go to make room for us. That you have established a place for us to belong in your kingdom, in your family. That the testimonies are that you have brought us in, embraced us, cared for us rescued us, saved us, healed us, restored us. And God, as we pass through nativity scenes over the course of this holiday season, God, I pray that we would pause and that we would see it and we would reflect and we would consider the areas of our own lives where we need to make space for you. Maybe there's a relationship. Because shalom has been broken between us and someone else. Maybe it's within our own skin, ways that we have been telling stories of who we are that aren't true and that aren't true of who you say that we are. God, perhaps it's places where you want us to make room for caring for those and standing with those and intertwining our lives with the lives of those who have been marginalized and, 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 and bear the weight of the oppression of the world. Maybe it's, maybe it's just making room for you, saying yes to you, surrendering our lives to you. God, in, in whatever ways that it is, I pray that we'll pause, that we'll reflect, and that we'll act on that. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.